Good to have Robin back with us. I always like her ministry and song. And, uh, you know, it's just really neat to see the Holy Spirit minister during the music, how God touches our hearts. And I believe that in true worship, we release those anxieties that we have during the week, the things that have built up within us, and we just are able to be free of those things, I believe, to be able to receive from God's Word. And you know, when we look at God's Word, I believe without the anointing of the Holy Spirit in His Word, the Bible looks a lot like a phone book. I'm serious. I've had people say, I read the Bible, it doesn't do anything for me. I said, well, the next time you read it, why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to explain it to you in your soul? Because one of the things we have to realize as human beings is that, first of all, you're not like an animal. When God made humans, he made us uniquely different than all the other creatures that he made before. We were created in God's image. And the reason why we're in the created in the image of God is because you have a spirit that the animals do not have. Animals can love to a certain point. They love you because you give them food. But I can guarantee you the next person that will give them food, they will love them. But when it comes to God and a relationship with Him, we're spiritual beings. And this is why it's so important. And this is what separates us from the animal kingdom, which evolution absolutely tries to destroy. You were created in the image of God. Now that is an interesting thing to me, because some of the attributes that we have are from God. I believe that this is why we are able to to communicate in the Spirit with the Lord and that we can actually have that intimacy with maybe our spouse, maybe our children, that we don't find anywhere else in the world. So God is the one that causes our spirits to come alive. This is why Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. You see, that ability to communicate in the Spirit to God, to one another, died in the garden. It's been dead in man ever since. But when we become born again, that Spirit comes back alive. And it's like the phone lines have been reconnected to God. It's been like the phone lines have been reconnected to our heart, to those that we love. You'll notice a lot of times when a person becomes born again, the relationships in that individual's life that have been fractured over the years become healing and be healed because of the working of the Holy Spirit in that individual. So the first thing we have to realize when we look at God's Word is that God endeavors to align our hearts with His. I believe that happens partially in worship and again as we study His Word. Let's pray. Father, as we go to Your Word this morning and we look at these words and how You desire to love us, God, we ask You now that Your Holy Spirit would speak to us, help us, better understand You, that we remember these things. In Jesus' name, Amen. Chapter 33, we remember previously, chapter 32, the golden calf fiasco. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. As he's up on the mountain, God conversing with him, God speaks to him and says, Get down quickly, your people have gone astray. 
he comes down. Joshua says, what's all this noise we hear in the camp? Is it the sound of war? And they said, no, it's not. It's the sound of mirth and dancing. Moses comes down from having this great experience with God to his people that are dancing naked around a golden calf. Now, I'll tell you, you'll find oftentimes in your life experience, you can go from extreme highs to extreme lows in a matter of seconds. Why is that? Because we realize things change. Well, he said, get down quickly. Your people have gone crazy. He goes down. We remember that he takes the golden calf. He asked Aaron about it. And he said, well, you know, they wanted a God that reminded them of who brought them out of Egypt. I throw all their earrings and everything into the fire. And whoa, this is what came out. Well, earlier we read that he actually didn't, uh, didn't come out that way. The Bible says Aaron crafted the golden calf. So Aaron wasn't being honest. We remember Moses' anger was really hot. And he said, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to grind this thing up. And then we're going to put it in the water and you guys are going to drink it. Now, this is kind of weird. Now, you won't, as I shared last week, you won't find this in a Bible commentary. You won't find it in the Bible, but you will find it in medical manuals. What you eat that you don't digest comes out the other end. And so here's this giant golden calf been grounded up. The people are eating it, and they're out in the wilderness with golden doo-doo. That's right. I can just see him looking at that going... Wow, just a day or so ago, we were worshiping this very goal, now mixed in with waste. God's got a sense of humor. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to a land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants, I will give it. This is an amazing verse to me, friends, because first of all, after the golden calf incident, and people died in that rebellion, God still remains faithful to them. Not because they were good, but because God made a promise. Oh, friends, understand this. If God's blessing towards you was only based upon your performance, none of us would ever get anything from God. Because by nature, it's not within us to live righteously. By the way, anything in you that is righteous, God put in you. I can't even claim it myself. Look how good I am. God says, the only thing good about you is me. It's true, friends. And when we look at this, you find that God should have said, and God fried them right there in the desert. It doesn't say that. In fact, God says, let's go on. Pick up. You made your mistakes. Pick up. Let's go on. Now, friends, that's the way God works. 
God doesn't scrap you when you do something wrong. He builds upon what you learned from that bad experience. Listen, there's a lot of really bad things that happen to us in the course of a lifetime, Christian or non-Christian. But as a Christian, we think somehow that God won't use us anymore because we did something wrong. And we're all living examples of how God's grace and mercy continues in our life. If God only used good people, nothing for the kingdom would ever be done. Second of all, we know the Bible tells us that where the cattle have been, the uh, souls are dirty. What does that mean? Hey, in the course of a lifetime as a Christian, you are going to make mistakes. But that doesn't negate that God says, okay, I'm done with you. I mean, look at Peter. I don't know the Lord. For three times, he denied who Jesus was, that he knew him. And when the cock crowed the second time, the Bible says, you'll deny you know me before the cock crows twice. We remember that, and by the way, you would think Peter, in his midst of the denial of three times, when the first cock, first time the cock crowed, he would think, you know, I'm starting to deny the Lord here, just as Jesus said. Because usually... Roosters, they go cock-a-doodle-doo, and then they wait a few minutes, and then they go again. Well, it seemed to be rather rapid fire when Peter was denying the Lord that uh, you would think he would have said, hey, there's a cock crowing, and I've already denied the Lord. By the time the cock crowed twice, he had denied him three times. And Jesus caught up with Peter on the Sea of Galilee, and he said, you scumbag, how could you do that? No, he didn't. He came to Peter, and he looked at him, and he said, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds, and he said, Lord, I phileo you, I'm fond of you. And he said, Peter, do you agape me? That means that deep, intimate fellowship love. If you look it up in the Greek, this is what the word means. And Peter said, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I'm fond of you. I think Peter was really scared to make a statement that he couldn't back up, seeing Jesus after after, after knowing what he did, denying the Lord. And then Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you phileo me? And he said, yes, Lord, I phileo you. It's interesting that God came down to the level that he could relate with. Now, what we see in this particular part of passage of scripture, we find again the same thing. He says, the people that you brought out of the land of Egypt. You know, it's interesting that God here doesn't want to claim them. (laughs) <laughs> the people you brought out of the land of Egypt. Moses doesn't want to claim them. Nobody wants these people in the wilderness. But God remains faithful and said, I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's go on to the promised land. Friends, that's really encouraging to me. Because I know so many times people say, well, I'd be a Christian. I'm, I'm afraid I'll fail. Let me tell you, you will. That's why it says in 1 John, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. Not that we want to go out and sin, and sin never does me good. Sin always hurts. But here you find that God is greater than the things that we have done wrong. Many people, as Christians, have too small a God. 
God is able to take the wrong things and make them good. And friends, that's the God you serve. And if you're afraid to do anything because you're afraid you're going to do it wrong, you'll never do anything for God. Yeah, I, I might do something. I might go bankrupt. But God, this is what you, I believe you told me to do. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute because this chapter deals a lot with communication to God. How God communicated to Moses was uniquely different than the way he communicated to most of the prophets in the Old Testament and different than the way God communicates with us by and large today. Let's read on. And I will send my angel before you. Now, there's discussion, is this Jesus Christ or is this just an angel? It appears that this particular place, this may be an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Prezites, the Hivite, Jebusites, Termites, and everybody else. No, I mean, he's going to chase them all out. God's going to go for you and he will bless you. Now, friends, you have to remember something. You as a Christian carry the blessing of God everywhere you go. You say, well, Mike, I'm not a very good Christian. You know what? The darker the world gets, any element of light that you have in you is pretty bright. Have you noticed how dark the world's getting? Do you realize right now we're on the verge of World War III? Do you realize what's going to happen if we have an invasion, if Russia invades a peaceful country called the Ukraine for no reason other than communism doesn't work, we need more money, let's steal this country. Same with China and Taiwan. Do you realize that we're in a different world? Do you realize if this happens, something happens to that pipeline that supplies European oil, do you realize that that means there's going to be oil needed from other sources which will drive the cost of a barrel of oil? They, they said it could go as three high as $300 a barrel, which will make your gasoline $18 a gallon. We ain't going to be driving much. We don't realize what a global world we have and how dysfunctional it is. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, perplexity among nations. The word perplexity means problems with no solution. You see your world like that today? Can you see inflation happening? Do you know what inflation does? It destroys your, your, your retirement, everyone. You think, uh, uh, when I was in high school, I've shared this before. It was eight pesos to the Mexican dollar. You can see somebody down in Mexico putting a peso away a week for their retirement. By 1993, it was 3,000 pesos uh, to, to an American dollar. Savings wiped out. Can you see that happening now? Now, here's where we get into some problems. Talking about perplexity, talking about these issues. Everybody's aware of rising interest rates. They say right now it's pretty solidly at four or above right now. Here's your problem. You have inflation between seven and 10%. That means that who's ever lending you the money at 4% 
is losing about 6% by lending it to you. Does that make sense? In other words, I'm borrowing money for 4%, but everything's going up at 10%. That means savings is worthless. Friends, we're in trouble in our nation, in our world. Jesus talked about this, and I believe this is why it's so important that we realize that because you carry the gospel of Christ in your heart, and even though you feel you haven't been a very good Christian, apologize to those people you may have offended, and let your light shine. Because if the devil can beat you down and say, hey, you failed, nobody's going to listen to anything you say. Let me tell you something, friends. The world is so dark. Rays of bright light into darkened corners is all I can say. And that's who you are. Who are they going to listen to? If they, Who are they going to go to? Oh, we're going to go to the American news media. Good luck with that. Have you noticed that all your commercials, a lot of them on TV, are sponsored by Pfizer, the ones that make the vaccine, in which the news commentators that they're paying for are telling you you have to take it? Talk about conflict of interest. Around the mulberry bush we go. When you realize what's going on in our world, you are so valuable to the kingdom of heaven. That's who you are. And if we lose sight of that, if we do not arm ourselves with the Word of God, if we don't let it go, like during the worship service today, the downtrodden words of the devil, you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you failed in your past. Let me tell you something, friends. Every person has failed in their past. And I have found a lot of times some of the people are the quickest to point out the failures and others are currently failing in a much greater way than what they're pointing at. Isn't that what Jesus said? Don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you got a beam in your own. I often wonder if the beam is not the reflection in the person's eye that they're trying to pick out. You see, when we understand how valuable you are to the kingdom of heaven, how much Jesus has made an investment in you, how God redeemed the children of Israel out of a life of slavery, brought them through the Red Sea, put them on their way to the promised land. Sound a little bit like you and me? We're on our way to the promised land. And along the way, there are bumps and there are rocks and there are trails We just got to get back on the path again, friends. Being about our father's business. So he says, I will send an angel to go before you. Now he says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now God says this to the children of Israel. I want to go with you. But I'm afraid if I go with you, instead of an angel going with you, I'm afraid if I go with you, I'm going to get close enough to you that I might get really mad at you and destroy you in the way. 
Now, if you look at that for a minute, he says you're a stiff-necked people. That comes, we talked about this last week, it's a common term in the Bible being a stiff-necked people, but it has to do with farming. And you have an animal pulling a plow, and you tug on the reins to turn the horse's head a little bit, or the donkey's head, or the oxen's head a little bit, and that'll turn it that way. He goes, you're stiff-necked. I'll be purling on the reins to try to get you back on the path, and you don't want want to go that way, your neck, is, your neck is stiff. I don't know if you've ever had a stiff neck. They are not fun. I have painted my roof in my house. I don't know how many people have had this wonderful opportunity. But you're like this with a roller. And you're doing this and you're doing the roof. And then the next day you walk around like Frankenstein. Because you had your neck in a way that it wasn't supposed to. Being stiff-necked is not a good thing. He said, I'm going to bring you into a really great place. God will. A land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, God, a, a, a land of plenty. There's a journey involved. And when the people heard these grave things... These grave tidings, they mourned, and no one put on their jewelry. And now it's, this verse is a little weird to me, because they heard God saying, I want to go with you, but you guys are such a bunch of stiff-necked people, if I go with you, I'm afraid I might slay you in the wilderness, so I'm going to send an angel instead. Uh, they were grieved, and they didn't put on their jewelry as they were traveling through the desert. Who are they trying to impress? Like, hey, okay, mom, dad, kids, let's load up the wagon. We're going to go. Be sure to put your jewelry on because we're going to impress the neighbors. What? You know, it's interesting. Even then, people want to be Gucci. I can't figure it out. But they were bummed out. They didn't put on their jewelry that day, their ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what I will do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their jewelry by Mount Horeb. And Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. By the way, Jesus was crucified outside the camp. A lot to say that, uh, you don't have to be in the in crowd. It is also interesting that he put the tabernacle outside so very clearly anybody that really wanted to know what God had to think had to directly go there. It wasn't, maybe we might say convenience, as it was later on in the children of Israel. They would pitch the tabernacle of meeting basically in the center, but here it was outside. It was the tabernacle of meeting where God met Moses. Now, so it was... Whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose, each man stood at the door of his tent and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. 
And it came to pass when he entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. So it's like Moses goes in, this cloud goes and closes the door. And then Moses are in there talking. And he says, the people saw that pillar of cloud standing at the door and all the people rose and worshipped each man at his tent door. And so the Lord spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, here's what's interesting. It says God spoke to Moses face to face. Now, as we'll read on here, we'll find that God has never shown his face to anybody. When you look at the original Hebrew word here, it literally means God spoke to Moses person to person. You can look it up in a strong concordance and you'll see that. God spoke to him. But the reason we find the word face to face, it's much more than just person to person. It was an intimate thing where God would actually come and speak to him. Different than the other prophets, different than really the way that God spoke to people in the New Testament. Even though the Bible says that Jesus said he would write his purpose, his commandments on our heart. Unlike the Ten Commandments on a chunk of stone, God would put His commandments on a heart of flesh. But here, it's weird that the Bible says there was such an intimate relationship that Moses had with God. God had with Moses. Friends, that's weird. I mean, I I wonder what it would be like to sit there and listen to the Word of God. Now, I've never had God, I think, speak to me audibly. In, oh my son, you know, Cecil beat a mill with reverb, oh my son, 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 how, 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 or, 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 you, 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 you. I didn't have that. But I have heard God's voice, and if you're a Christian, so have you. Here's why. When you heard the message of the gospel, that your sins could be forgiven, that God loved you, that Jesus died on the cross in your place, and there was a voice inside of you that said, This is what you need. You need to respond to this. You need to pray. You need to get right with me. That was God's voice. So anybody that's born again has heard God's voice. Otherwise, you wouldn't be saved. Because you had to hear God's voice to respond to what God was saying. You need Jesus. I like that. But evidently, Moses had a much different relationship with God in that he could talk to him like we talk on a cell phone, or probably much more face-to-face. In other words, there was the person-to-person closeness, intimacy that was there. Lord spoke to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to a friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua did not depart from the tabernacle. Joshua was a good man. And this is why Joshua, I believe, took Moses' place when Moses, finally the Lord, called him home. And we remember Joshua is who led Israel. Why did God pick Joshua over anybody else? Because I think right here shows that Joshua had a real love for God. And he wanted to be close to what God was doing. Then Moses said to the Lord, 
See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. All the things that God had showed Moses, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud of smoke by day, and Moses still says, but God, I believe there's more. I got something to tell you, and something that I was reminded of when I read this. There's always more in Jesus. There's always more in God. God always wants to call us into a new level. Why do we need a new level? I've heard it said one time, because there's a new devil every day. You're going to be confronted with things this week that will show you your need to grow more in Christ. Now let me explain that. We oftentimes look at our failures as I let God down. But I believe what God is trying to show us in our failures is that you need a stronger relationship with God to meet the challenges that are coming in the future. Friends, I know this. I can promise you this. You can write it on a calendar. Crazy Mike at the River Christian Fellowship said, we are all going to face challenges that little in life has prepared us for. But you, in Christ, you will be able to meet those challenges. Friend, our world is on a collision course. There's no way around this. We are going to have a financial crisis. We're going to have a global crisis. We are on the verge of World War III. When the Ukraine invades, it gets invaded, there's going to be repercussions. Why would the world set back as the world did with Hitler when he invaded Poland? And we just sit back and say, oh, here's a peaceful nation. Just come and invade it. Well, it was once part of the Soviet Empire. Well, that was also stolen because Hitler is the one that took that country. Then when Russia took, took Germany, their, their share, they took all those territories. They were never Russia's. And now all of a sudden they feel that they have a right to do this. Margaret Thatcher, I quote this often, she said, communism, socialism works till you run out of everybody else's money. They're broke. China's in trouble financially. So here's Taiwan, this little gem, which is really what, it's really China. It's Mao Zedong was the revolutionary. Chiang Kai-shek escaped to Taiwan and that's the Republic of, and they're a free country like we are. Red China is not. I read a thing, they said that where the Winter Olympics are going on, there is at least six gulag camps within 20 miles of where they're having the Winter Olympics, where people are tortured for the faith. This past week on Every Man and Answer, I had a fellow on that began to tell us about uh, the uh, Voice of the Martyrs, uh, their organization. And he said that this pastor was there, and he was arrested for simply just preaching the gospel, whisked away to a gulag, they don't know where he's at, and asked if we would pray for him. And I said, yes. 
And so all week long, I've, whenever I'm doing something, I'll be out in the garage or something I'll be doing and I'll driving down the road. All of a sudden I'll just think of that guy and I'll start praying for him. I go, God, I don't know what he needs, but I know how I would feel if I was in prison. And the thing is, he had a chance to not go to the gulag by recanting his faith in what he was saying and he wouldn't do it. He just said, no, I'm not going to do it. So when we understand what really is going on, we're going to be faced with things down the road, friends, that I don't believe we've ever seen before. Now, I believe somebody that lived maybe during the 20s, maybe will have seen it. Because Solomon says there's no new thing under the sun. And the way the devil works is to destabilize the world and to enslave human beings. That's his game. That's why America was kind of a neat um, experiment with freedom. And then as you look at the movies and as you look at television and you look at the debauchery and the bribes of the politicians and all the stuff going on, this is the result of freedom. You know, during the millennial reign of Christ, it's not going to be that way. There's not going to be the bribes and the X-rated movies and all that kind of stuff that takes people's hearts away and destroys families. Well, why do I want to be with you and I can be with somebody like that? And we see all the stuff going on in the world. This, I believe, friends, is where we are at globally. And I believe during the millennial reign of Christ... We're going to find how God's going to run the world. And by the way, that's what the book of Exodus in Leviticus is about. It's God's law. The Bible says you're going to rule and reign with him. You're going to be the lawgivers in an ungodly world, and you're going to be bringing them the word of God. People say, well, I don't know how God's going to judge the world someday. Well, that's why you have a Bible, because it tells you exactly how he's going to judge the world, and it tells you exactly what the law will be during the millennial reign of Christ and what we will be enforcing in the world. I think it's pretty cool, really. We kind of get to do this, and we have... um, um, millennial leadership 101 right here, okay? You're getting to learn what God's going to bless and what God's not going to bless. So, it tells us here, Now therefore I pray, if I found grace in your sight, verse 13 again, show me your way that I may know you and I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I will give you, the word rest here doesn't mean they're all going to be able to not use, you know, um, sleeping aids. What it's talking about here is I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace in your souls and in your heart. Verse 15, if you like to underline things in your Bible, it's marked in mine. Verse 15 is a key verse. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Moses said, and this is probably one of the wiser things that Moses said, God, if you're not going to go with me, I'm staying right here. I'm not going to go till I have absolute direction from you. Friends, I believe that. I believe God's direction is really important in your life. You know, when you go to buy a car, you go to buy a house, change jobs, get married, whatever it might be, I pray you consult the Lord. And I pray that you wait on the Lord. 
And as you wait on the Lord, God brings about his perfect will for your life to guide you and direct you where he wants you to be. Now, a lot of the things that I've experienced in my life, a lot of the tears, a lot of the heartaches, a lot of things, friends, my heart's been broken more times than I can count. But all those things I look at is God steering me where he wants me to go, where you're going to be the most effective for the kingdom of heaven. And that's what God does. And I would say this too, God, if you're not going to go with me, I'm going to stay right here. Because until I know which way you're going, I don't want to go. Have you ever wished or would have? I wish I'd done this, I wish I'd done that. We get the broken washing machine syndrome. Wish I would have, wish I would have, wish I would have. You know, kind of thing. We get that idea. Listen, God wants to direct us. I don't want to be lagging where God's got to kick me to get me going, but I don't want to run ahead of God that I get there without a message. God's purpose and plan, those things you've gone through in your life, God makes them good. He said, if you don't go before us, then I ain't going. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I from the people who are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know your name. I like that. God listened to what Moses said in Moses. God said to Moses, found grace in my sight. I'm going with you. Friends, know that. God knows what you need before you ask. You know, this is one of the great problems I had with the positive confession movement, primarily centered in Oklahoma, but it's like cancer spread throughout the world, and you had to be exact and tell God exactly what you wanted. Otherwise, God would make a mistake. So I want that new car with red tinted glass, airco, you know, what? because I don't want God to make a mistake. God goes, oh man, what would I do without you? No. All I say is, God, you direct me. You move me, slow me down, speed me up. But I don't want to move without you. And by the way, when we read what sin is, we know that God will not lead us into sin. So we know then that that is not God's purpose to take us into darkness. In other words, because God is bigger than the things I've done wrong, I don't want to deliberately do things wrong because I can just say, well, God's cheap grace. No, I don't want to do that. God forgives sin, but it's like somebody said one time, it's like having a beautiful wood table and somebody comes along with sin and drives a nail into it and God comes along with this big claw hammer and pulls the nail out. That's the forgiveness of sin, but the hole in the wood is there. Do you realize sin makes holes in your life. It it hurts you. It distorts the way you look at things. Now, do I believe God can heal those holes? Absolutely. But nevertheless, if we allow them to come in, it's going to alter our viewpoint sometimes. And so he says, I will do this thing that you have spoken. I like that about God. 
Here, God says, you know, pretty mad at everybody, uh, what they've done and everything. Moses said, well, we're not going to go here unless you go with us. And God says, I like that. I like that. God honors humility. And when we realize we ain't going to do it, God will. That's where the power of God is. And he said, please, show me your glory. I like that about Moses. After seeing everything, the pillar of fire, the cloud of smoke. And he said, show me more. Show me more. Man, when is the last time any of us went to God and said, God, I see your goodness. Show me more. Do that. I think God kind of likes showing us that. Notice he says, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, God said to him, you cannot see my face for no one shall see my face and live. Now, again, that's why you want to understand earlier Moses spoke to God face to face. We have to look at the original language, person to person. But it was really more than just person to person. But it wasn't where Moses is sitting there staring at God's face. As he says here, no one has seen my face and lived. And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by. I will put you in the cleft of the rock, cover you with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. It is interesting that God does this. You know, I think someday when we stand before the Lord, we have our new glorified bodies. We're going to be able, the Bible says, we'll see him face to face. It's going to be a great day. Moses had that closeness with God, but even that was veiled to a certain extent. But someday soon, people have asked the question on the Mount of Transfiguration, where the Lord appeared to to the uh, three disciples. And the Bible says that Jesus glowed radiant. I don't believe that these old tabernacles could handle the radiance, the face of God. I think we need a new body to be able to do that. I find my body can't hardly stand up to a good cold anymore. But you know, we're going to get a new body, the Bible says, that doesn't hurt anymore. All the things that are wrong with this body, God's going to fix and restore us and bless us and heal us. And you see, God's goodness is there for you. And as Moses said, please now, show me your glory. I want more. I pray that God puts a hunger and thirst in your heart. The Bible talks about that in the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. You see, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm praying that more and more. Thy kingdom come. You know, I see the world. I see the news. I see the perplexity among nations, problems with no way out. And I go, thy kingdom come, Lord. We're ready. But while we're here, do the best you can for the king. If you're not a Christian here today, my heart goes out to you. 
Because you're carrying the weight of the world, the uncertainty of things to come on your shoulders that you were never designed to carry. Jesus said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Peter said, Casting all your cares on him, he cares for you. God wants you to carry his love, not the weight of the world. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we're going to pray, and you can ask the Lord to come into your life. He'll forgive you if you're a backslidden Christian. You know what I mean. You've been playing on the wrong side of the fence for a long time. And the Lord's calling you home, and for some miraculous reason, you ended up listening to this today. God's saying, I want you to come home. I want to show you my glory, God says. See, that's what you need. That's what you need. You don't need more of the world. That got you in trouble in the first place. God wants to show you who he is. If you need to pray this morning, remember Jesus went outside the camp and died for our sins. Your sin away. See, that's what you ever watch these dudes, you know, on TV. Focus on the third eye in the middle of your forehead. Something that clears so will not correct. Okay. But you got people meditating. You know why they meditate? They're trying to decouple from who they are because they're sinners. When you really look at why people do what they do, especially in religion, it's pretty scary. But the idea is to decouple from who you are. That's why people drink, everybody. They don't like who they are. If I get blitzed, I don't care who I am. Or if I just, you know, bong it away, just give me a bag. You see, this is the trick of the world. Keep you numb, keep you dumb, until you go into eternity. God doesn't want you to be that way. That's why Jesus took away your sins. And then God not only took away our sins, he made us his children. And will call us his bride. Pretty good deal. If you need to pray this morning. You don't want another 10 years like you just had. Let's pray, okay? Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Took away my sins. And rose from the dead so I will have life every day. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God, to live more for you each day. And thank you for writing my name in your book of life. That I can spend eternity with you and never be scared of dying ever again. So I commit my life into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayed that. Welcome to God's family.